Dear sports fans, elevate your game to the next level with a Toyota truck. Drive the crowd favorite Tacoma. This versatile playmaker is ready to own the weekend. Choose the tailgating MVP, the Toyota Tundra. This is one vehicle that comes up clutch. Or ride in the adventurous 4Runner, a true champion on and off the road. Whichever truck you choose, you're getting a real winner. Come join the team of champions, Toyota Trucks. Visit Toyota.com to learn more or check out your local Toyota dealership today. Toyota, let's go places. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. This is the BSN Avalanche Podcast, powered by the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Crisscrossing with Jost. Right in, turned out by Jari. That was a one on two. And Jost. McKinnon. The best avalanche coverage in Denver. Everybody, welcome into the BSN Avalanche Podcast presented by Total Beverage. Before we jump into the show, I want to tell you about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners. If you didn't know by now, Total Beverage is delivering beer, wine, and liquor to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For a limited time, Total Bev is offering $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and app. Use promo code BSN10 to save $10 off a $50 purchase for all your parties. Have it delivered straight to your door. Let's jump into the show. I am your host today, AJ Hayfley, coming back uh, to to guest uh, to be a guest on the show again. Nathan Rudolph, who was here with me last week, Nathan, once again, thank you for uh, hopping on the show with me and and hanging out, talking a little draft. Yeah, happy to be back so soon. Excited to look at some more draftees. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things, you know. With with two first round picks, we couldn't exactly just wrap it up, put a bow on it, call it good at number four, and and peace out, Girl Scout. We actually have a little bit more work to do than that. So we are going to focus solely on the 16th pick here in the first round. Colorado came eerily close to pushing that pick to more like 28th uh, when they got to game seven against the San Jose Sharks. But that loss meant that they did secure pick number 16, the same pick that they had last year when they took Martin Kout. First off, before we get into this year's this year's kids, we haven't really talked a whole lot about Kout. Uh, I know you watch plenty of Eagles games as well. What what were some of your thoughts on Kout's rookie season here in North America? I liked his game overall. Uh, I definitely think he take, took steps in the right direction and fully expect him to be in the NHL. I'd say any later than Christmas break would be real surprising to me. He has a chance mm-hmm. to make it opening night, but that's still up in the air. Uh, for his game specifically, the biggest thing that impressed me is how responsible he is. I mean, this kid is super solid. He always makes the smart decisions. He's never afraid to be the guy that circles back and covers for deep pinching in, things mm-hmm. like that. 
I do think his offense is actually sneaky good. I think it's a lot better than he showed at times this year, but there was definitely an adjustment period for him for the AHL style of play. And also, obviously, with his offseason issues, the cardio just, it wasn't there, especially as the season wore on. So I think you're going to see a lot more out of him next year in the AHL if that's where he is. I uh, <laughs> I am really excited, actually. Uh, for a guy where, like, the upside is not crazy high, you know, you're not dreaming on him taking over the world like Kale McCarr. Uh, and you're just like, oh, well, like, he'll be like a middle six guy for you that doesn't play a sexy game. He's just smart and responsible. But I feel really confident that they're going to get a good quality NHL player out of him. And it really reaffirms my belief uh, that they did a good job with the pick. You know, there were some guys on the board that I really liked that they did not take. You know, Ty Smith and Keandre Miller and Joe Valeno last year were three guys that I really loved that were also on the board when they picked at 16. And all of those guys had way bigger boomer bust potential uh, than Cout. And a year later, all those guys had great years, but Cout had a really solid year in the AHL. And so I'm feeling even better. They got a good NHL player out of that pick. And that's that's a good approach to take at 16th overall. Yeah, uh, absolutely. He's he's a player that you picked for his floor as much, if not more, than his ceiling. So when he comes into the system, you're like, yep, this is a surefire NHLer. Let's just see how much we can get out of him now. And I agree with that approach for the most part. There's one guy on this list for sure that doesn't fall into that, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah, <laughs> you're not kidding, man. Uh, so what we're gonna we're gonna do here? We're gonna start with uh, a couple of guys that we both like for that uh, for the 16th pick. Let's uh, let's go back out. Let's, we're gonna go back out west. We're going to go to the BCHL. You know where we've seen Colorado dip their toe a couple of times recently with uh, Tyson Jost and, and sort of Nikki Lieberman. He was. Lieberman was a high schooler, but he was on his way to the BCHL when they drafted him. So he's kind of he kind of gets BCHL credit. Uh, but the guy we're going to talk about first here, Alex Newhook for the, from the Victoria Grizzlies, a guy that's been, I you know I think he started the year in the top ten conversation for a lot of people, and then as the season went on, he it he sort of moved his way down uh, into that mid first round conversation. Do you do you think that that was more of an indictment of his play, or do you think that was just the fact that the American kids, especially, all had great years and justified their rankings, and it just ended up being guys jumped ahead of him, or was it just that Newhook was sort of old news, if you will, uh, after a hundred and two point season? Uh, some of column A, some of column B there. There were a couple of the guys uh, in the USNTDP that definitely stepped up their game and pretty much deserved to be ahead of Newhook regardless. But his snubbing from the Holinka at the start of the year, before that, he was even in like the top five conversation, and then he didn't make the Holinka team, and it was kind of all downhill from there as far as the rankings were concerned with him. You know, and and we do know with the BCHL uh, that he is off to college and not going to be going the junior route. He's headed to to Boston College. They've been a little bit down in the last couple of years, at least compared to you know the 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 dominance that they've shown in the past. 
It's similar to what's going on at BU, really. It's weird to see both BC and BU kind of struggling in the way that they are. Do you have any concerns about Newhook at all going to, to Boston College when they're kind of on the downside? Or is he the kind of talent that, that can pull them back out of it and get them back to you know competing for, for national championships like they normally do? Yeah, I, I think he'll be just fine there. Uh, they have a pretty good recruitment class coming in this year as well with Spencer Knight, too, who we'll be talking about later. Yeah. So with college, you know, for on a year-to-year basis, if you get a re- good recruitment class, you'll be just fine the next season. And I actually like where BC is at a lot more than BU, so I think they'll be all right. <laughs> I do, I do too. I where the, the, the guys that are coming for BC make me feel like, okay. And, I mean, plus Jerry York's still there. It's and they're not they're not experiencing like the complete overhaul of their hockey operations like BU has in the last couple of years, from head coach to you know some of their some of their um, I guess the hockey or the college equivalent of like front office people. Some of their hockey ops people have have left over the last year as well. Well, you get the right guy. It only takes two years. UMass proved so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and honestly, it's it's. I'm really curious to see how long Greg Carvel stays at UMass. Uh, yeah, you would think that that kind of success. Now, obviously, he's got to see what does the world look like now that Kale McCarr and Mario Ferraro have left school. How does he do in continuing to keep that program competitive? But as an aside, I will be curious to see how long Greg Carvel stays there, or if he has ambitions on moving up. Because if he does. You know, no offense to Nolan Pratt, but I'd be real curious to see what that guy looks like as an assistant coach on an NHL bench. You have to think he's at least on the radar for open spots, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I'm if I'm looking as, you know, if I'm building a, a coaching staff in Buffalo, you know, with Rasmus Dahlin and R- Rasmus Ristolainen and, you know, some of the young cats that they have there, I, I'm looking, you know, with Brandon Montour as well. I'd be looking at that guy and say, hey, do you want to come run our defense? But neither here nor there. Let's get back to Newhook. What is it about his game? What is what does Newhook bring that would excite you about him being the guy at 16? And what are some of the concerns that you have? Well, it might be a little bit biased, but he reminds me a lot of Matt Duchesne. And I love Matt Duchesne's play style so much when he's not ice cold. We'll put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> um. So he he's really great on his edges. He has those quick first moves and can dangle kids easily. And he has all of the offensive ability and instincts to to really be a a 2C for the Avs if we're talking about in the Avs player. I there's a reason he's at 16. I don't really think he's quite in the 1C talk, but he he really does have the offensive talents to create plays he's a player that loves to play with the puck on his stick he could actually use a little bit more work i think away from the puck but he's still very strong and very smart in the offensive zone um he could be a little bit stronger and the biggest knock for me is of course the bchl it's it's an offensively minded junior a league and Mm -hmm. he has a lot of space to do what he likes to do down there i mean like a lot (laughs) So when he has to step that up to the next level, things are going to have to come a little bit faster for him. And I think he can get there, but you never know until you see it. Well, when we saw him at U18s, uh, he wasn't he wasn't bad at U18s um, by any stretch of the imagination. I thought he had a solid overall tournament. Uh, but I, I don't know that 
you know, I was not blown away. I was not, it was not like, well, when Tyson Jost went right. And it was like, yeah. Oh, he's not going to have any problem elevating, you know, to, to the next level. Um, you know, new hook was still, uh, he still had like nine or 10 points in the tournament. So it wasn't, it wasn't like he was again, not at all bad. Um, but was playing on a pretty good line. Um, with uh, Krebs and Cousins, pretty good company to be keeping, and I I liked him. I definitely agree. Best best uh, at his best when he has the puck on his stick. Um, the puck the the work away from the puck is a very much a work in progress. Uh, you say he reminds you of Matt Duchesne. I always thought uh, when I watched him, he reminded me a lot of Dylan Larkin. Uh, you know that yeah. great skater, explosive skater. Uh, very, you know, good, really good hands, but needed needed a lot of work in a lot of areas of the game. This is not the fourth pick. You know, we talked no, on last week's show. Not, yeah, those guys. Oh, maybe a year, maybe two years, just because Colorado's in a unique position with that fourth overall pick. What kind of timeline are you looking at with Newhook? Is is two years realistic for him? I hope so. Um. <laughs> You know, I, I would always love to get players in this range two years and then get them pro regardless, mm-hmm. even if that means the AHL. But, you know, for a first-round pick, it's, it's usually a pretty hard sell to get them to sign to play in the AHL. So if you're making the pick, I think your expectation is to want to sign him after two years, and hopefully he's ready. Yeah. We're, uh, let's, let's assume that Colorado does take a forward at four. Where does Newhook fit in, you know, if you were say they take Kirby Doc fourth, you get to 16 is taking Newhook the right approach. Even if, if he's the best player on the board, you think he's going to be the best NHLer? Is, is, do you still take him or do you, do you try and prioritize the defense instead? I mean, that comes down to who's left, I think. Um, but it, it it makes it a lot harder, especially if you're picking someone like Doc, who you're projecting to be a C, because mm-hmm. I think New Hook's a C as well uh, at the NHL level. So it, if you're picking a winger, like say you take Cousins, who I think we all think is going to be a winger at the next level, yeah, then I think there's a lot more room for New Hook to work. But I, it would be hard for me to go Doc New Hook four sixteen. So same thing with Turcotte then. Yeah. Okay, so if they if they were to go Pod Colson or Cousins, then Newhook at Newhook at sixteen is a lot more uh, palatable, if you will, uh, that that you can kind of combine them and say, hey, that's a future second line instead of those guys competing for a direct ice time. Right, and and of course you never know with the expansion draft or whatever. Maybe we end up losing Comfort or Jost or whatever, and then if that's the plan long term, they have room for Newhook more, but. You can mm-hmm. only know so much this far out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, the other guy that we're going to get into here, moving away from New Hook, is a defenseman, uh, a guy that you and I both had uh, on our separate lists here as we were kind of combining them pre-show. Uh, big Swedish kid, uh, Victor Soderstrom. Yeah, I, I love Soderstrom. We mentioned him on our last casts. Uh, you'll notice I have a little bit of a type on the defensive end. <laughs> Uh, the all-around two-way type guys that can that can really hold their own in their defensive end and, and chip in offensively as well. They're 
they're able to be much more adaptable, I think, when they make it to the next level. And, and Soderstrom in particular, he's such a smooth skater. It's so fun to just watch players like that just skate around the ice. And on top of that, most of what I got to watch of him was uh, in the Stuper Elite Junior League in Sweden, but he played most of the year against men in the SHL. So that's pretty much some of the best competition you can get at that age. Well, and he was, it was, it was a solid uh, year in terms of production too. You know, seven points in 44 games certainly isn't going to wow you. Um, But for, for a blue liner in the SHL as a draft eligible age kid, uh, perfectly respectable numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have no complaints about his production there. I mean, of course you always want to see more, but Again, in the Super Elite League, he had eight points in like 15 games or something. So he had no problem producing against his peers. And then right. he's able to put the puck in the net against men. So, Yeah, and, you know, the, the thing is that, that I would struggle with here with, you know, he's right-handed. And yeah. he doesn't have great size. You know, he's he's right about six foot, 180 pounds. Right in, right in that range. You know, obviously... Come the combine, it'll be nice to actually get real measurements on some of these guys, and and not wonder like is he actually is he five eleven is he five nine is he six foot one like what is this what's going on here? Um, but with with Soderstrom, it's my concern is that it's it's kind of more of the same, you know that Colorado's already really heavy on the right side, and obviously guys can move sides. Lefties do it all the time because teams don't have an abundance of right-handed cats. But with with Johnson and Barry and Timmons and McCarr, you know, even Nick Malosh right-handed, is that is that anything that you would even consider on draft day? Is that something that you would you would care at all about? Oh, he's right-handed, so we can't take him. Or oh, he's right-handed, so maybe we look for an excuse to take somebody else. I wouldn't discount it entirely, but I wouldn't make a big deal out of it. Uh, if if you're looking for a defenseman, if he's there at 16, I think he's far and away better than all the other options. So I, I would just take him if that's what you want. But it, it would make it a lot easier if we know Barry's on the way out. Mm-hmm. If they say, you know what, we're, our plan is to re-sign Barry long term, then maybe you start looking more towards a forward with this pick. <laughs> Well, in that same vein, you know, we talked about it with uh, with Newhook. If you take a forward at four, what if you take Bowen Byram at four? Are you then you're not even considering defense at sixteen at that point? Yeah, no. I I the last thing I would want to do is go DD with these two picks. FF would be more palatable. Yeah, yeah. I think I, it's funny because you look at the Colorado's defensive pipeline and we talked about this last week with the conversation about Byram and how, you know, it's now in terms of prospects, it's Timmons and Melosh and a wasteland, like a gigantic gulf of question marks. You don't have any high end anybody uh, and you don't have anybody that you really have confidence is going to be an NHL or, and really even like a good AHL player. You know, we don't we don't even know if Josh Anderson has that in him uh, after his first pro season. So, I think I think there's yeah. an argument to be made um, for rebuilding that defensive pipeline because you you know there's a world there's a world in which 
you know, okay, Ian Cole is obviously a short timer here, so you don't you don't worry about him long. You don't have him in the long term conversation. What if Barry walks and you know you for some for some some something happens and Eric Johnson's no longer around, uh, you know, and then Nikita Zadorov, you know, maybe he's not long for Colorado either. Maybe you know the team just feels differently about his value than he feels about his value. And as soon as he can get to UFA, he does, you know, that seems like kind of the Armageddon situation where then you just have Gerard and McCarr left from this year's defense and all that long-term planning where you're like, Oh, we're good to go for the next several years is all out the window. I feel like if you were to go a DD in that case, that's what you're planning against is Armageddon. And you're also kind of planning for, sort of the Nashville model, right? Where you have more defense than maybe you know what to do with in reality. And ultimately you can end up trading top defensive prospects for forward help down the road. Yeah, it's a, it's a fair case to make. I just think that problem is better solved with one D in the first round. And then you can look in the second, third and fourth rounds to help solve that problem. Got to make better picks than Josh Anderson, but you have guys like Sam Gerard coming out of that second round. Connor Timmons came out of the second round, technically. Yeah. So there, there's plenty of it's defensive a, talent. It's a second there. round pick. I mean, it's the first second round pick, but it was <laughs> it's still second round. Yeah, but but yeah, I I think you can't pass up both picks with the high end forward talent in this draft. Mm-hmm. You can solve the defensive problem later. And getting one, I think, is what they should do. Absolutely, because you have to have some depth there, but. Mm-hmm. You can fill it out. So you're saying, ideally, you think uh, forward D, D forward, whichever order it ends up being, they should do what they did in 2011 when they went Landis Cog Siemens and try to try to uh, uh, fill holes at both spots. Yes. And boy, if just imagine if Siemens turned into what we thought he would. How much that would have helped them. How what a difference maker that would have been for that defense. Uh-huh. Patrick Nemeth would probably never be an Av. I mean, you could you could make the argument that had Siemens turned into that, that the O'Reilly deal may not happen the same That's way. That's possible, yeah. So, you know, it's it's certainly certainly an interesting conversation. I am excited to see exactly how things go at 16 because four, we have a pretty good idea of who's going to be there, who those guys are. We're very familiar with them. 16 is a total grab bag of different guys. Um, yeah, depending on the list you look at, there are guys that are ranked at 12 on some lists that aren't even in the first round on others. So it's Yeah. Let's uh let's quickly we each have a couple of other guys that we like. Uh we won't get in depth into them here as we're going to bounce out of here for the segment as it's running a little bit long. But who are some of the other guys that you do like in that range that you think could be available? Uh well, the sleeper Russian pick if the Avs want to want to go the Russian route, let's say they don't take Pod Coles in, you could be looking at uh, Dorofeyev at sixteen. Mm-hmm. It might be a touch high for him there, but he's a player that got a good amount of KHL experience and just destroyed the Russian Junior League this year. And we know that that's something they definitely have been watching. So, yeah, definitely. Um, def- and they've got they've got connections to to his organization. You know that they've been they've been keeping an eye on him, uh, and he's certainly an interesting, very interesting two way guy. Um, got a lot of a lot of projection on that frame, though. He's very very skinny. That's, yeah, yeah, that's he, a he dude that he needs. He's going to need time. 
Uh, that would be yeah. a, that would be a couple of years to he, wait on that kid for sure. You'd be, I mean, he would actually have a path of development in Russia, but you'd mm-hmm. be looking at like a similar timeline to like Shvirev or something. Yeah, yeah, that's a, and I think we've we've seen like you want to get those guys over as quickly as possible. Yeah, uh, just to just to get them out of there. For me, it's getting them out of Russia and getting them here and getting them acclimated and getting them you know learning English and getting accustomed to the lifestyle and the culture and you know with with Loveland now being the affiliate right down the road I think that's a big boon for the Avalanche in that they can con- they can be in constant contact and they they can feel like they're part of the Avalanche organization as they work their way up um yeah. okay any other any other guys that you really like for that 16 range well I know you love this guy too but Ryan Suzuki yeah um I unfortunately I don't think he's a great fit for what the abs need, but he's just a super fun, incredibly intelligent player to watch. Yeah, the the ultra high IQ uh player where you know you watch him and the it's it may not always be he may not always overwhelm you with, with talent and ability, uh and the physical tools aren't gonna always like come jumping off the ice. But I love the I love that he's he's as smart as he is. Uh, and he just he just plays a very advanced and mature game, and I really like that about him. Yep. Uh, one of the other one of the guys that I also like sticking in the OHL, uh, Philip Tomasino, is one of the one of the guys that I have really gotten attached to as as we've gone into draft season here. Um, more of a more of a late first round guy though, uh, but another another center uh, played a lot of right wing this year. Uh, for Niagara, and we'll we'll see. He's kind of a that's that'll be a guy that we can get into you know, when when we you know we get we get more into draft profiles and stuff like that. Niagara's just been churning out the late first round steals lately. <laughs> yeah, they. I mean, it's it's interesting because, um, I mean, even not not, not even really that right, like because Akil Thomas was. Yeah, I guess he went all the way to the mid second. Yeah, <laughs> he was. He dropped to like the fifties last year, and then uh, Jason Robertson uh, yep. was was like a high second rounder by the Stars, but definitely like in that range. Like those guys, I mean, they've been pumping out plenty of talent, so it's it's something you keep an eye on. Um, you know, I think this year they even ended up with uh, Ivan Lodnia, who was uh, uh, with Erie last year, and I I loved him. So yeah, they course, got Studnika too. So of course, of course, Minnesota got Lodnia because Minnesota always drafts the guys that I like. <laughs> like every year, Minnesota takes at least one guy that I really really like, and it they, it started with start Luke Cunning. Different players. <laughs> yeah, it started with Luke Cunning, and I was like, come on, and then it just continues. Where it's like Winnipeg is the exact opposite. They took Jack Roslovic in 2015, and then after that, they just keep taking a bunch of guys. Where I'm like, eh, you can have that guy, like Logan Stanley. Eh, I don't mind you guys taking him. That's fine. All well, right, Nathan, let's go ahead and take a break here. Yep. We are going to come back on the other side, and we are going to talk about the great debate of enigmatic forwards that score a lot <laughs> and are big, and I don't like to call them power forwards because that would assume that either guy gets anywhere near opposing players, <laughs> and that's giving 
both of these guys a little more credit than they deserve, depending on the night. Yeah. Before we do that, we've got to talk about game-changing coffee. Because, of course, we do. Strava Craft is CBD-enriched coffee that's really changed lives with incredible reviews that I know you've already read. The CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It's helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty. We couldn't recommend it more to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use promo code BSM2019 at checkout, and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. That does it for segment number one here, the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. We will be right back on the other side. Hey, BSN fans, your favorite Colorado Sports Network has partnered with your favorite Colorado beer, and we're giving them away for free. But in true BSN fashion, we're not letting you go to some major chain for it. We want you to go to your local neighborhood bar and support a real Colorado business. That's why we've created the bar page where any BSN subscriber can go in and get a free beer whenever they want. Just go to bsnbars.com and you can get one free Coors Banquet at any bar on that list. All you have to do is show the bartender the VIP image on that page in your browser and you can retrieve a free Coors Banquet beer at any of those bars. There are over 20 bars there. You're sure to find one close to you. It's bsnbars.com. Find a bar and get a free Coors Banquet on the house. Thanks for listening to the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Welcome back in segment number two here, the BSNM Lunch Podcast presented by Total Beverage. I'm AJ, he's Nathan. We are us sitting here talking about what Colorado should do with the 16th pick. Nathan, there are a couple of guys in every year's draft that get labeled with, you know, the 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 buzzwords, the red flag words that you never want uh, as a prospect. You know, enigmatic. Uh, floater, unreliable, things like that, right? Yep. Every year we get those kind of mercurial. Last year, that one was a popular word. I'd say that one might be generous for the guys we're about to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you don't necessarily want those things attached to you during your draft season. There are two guys this year who statistically had very, very good seasons. And you really have to love what they've done. And when you look at their numbers, it's very easy with the 16th pick to say, and especially with the safety of the fourth pick, you could say, hey, let's take a let's take a home run swing on either one of these guys. Um Let's start with Raphael Lavoie, because he's the one still playing. Yep. Playing for the Halifax Mooseheads, who are once again in the Memorial Cup. Lavoie had a good regular season. And then the playoffs is really when he blew up and, and started his ascent back up draft boards. Because I think I'm pretty comfortable and, and accurate in saying that most people were really down on him after the regular season. Um, we're viewing him as more of a late first round type of guy. And then he went out and he scored 20 goals in 23 games in the Q playoffs to lead the, the, the Mooseheads to the Memorial Cup. 
changed all of it. Now he's right back in the middle of the first round conversation. What do you see from Lavoie, who is your classic big guy, big body, high skill guy, but doesn't always play to his size? What do you see that's a good thing? And as usual, what are the what are the the downsides here? Why is Lavoie, you know, twenty goals in twenty three games in the postseason? Why is that only getting him to the mid first round? Well, I mean, he is a big guy and he doesn't play like one a lot of the time, unfortunately. Uh, I, I do think he has a lot of skill, especially for someone his size. And he has the ability to, at least in the QMJHL, just completely take over games when mm-hmm. he decides that he wants to. But, I mean, we talked about Doc, you know, disappearing for two months at a time. You're lucky if you get four shifts in a row out of Lavoie of really giving it all. So it's really hard to peg him down as whether he can be a consistent player or not. And then, mm-hmm. I, again, this is always something that I, I point out, despite Lavoie not using his size, his size very well, that size advantage is a lot bigger in juniors than it's going to be at the pro level. Right. He can get away with, uh, I mean, his raw talent is is enough that he can get away with not playing anywhere close to his size and being as, and to be honest, being as soft as he is uh, as, a, as a player, just because he's that good in the queue. But moving forward, he's not going to be able to do that. He's not going to have that luxury. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's going to have to use that size if he wants to make it to the next level. Yeah, it's definitely something that uh, it's one of his big selling points that you like about him. He's got great size. A guy with that size and that ability is what NHL teams drool over. You know, they've gone smaller in recent years because it's it's proven to be effective. But ideally, every NHL team would love to be full of guys who are six foot four, two hundred and ten pounds, who have the same skill level as the guy who's five eleven. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's what you're talking about with a guy like Lavoie. He's got he's got fantastic skill level. He's got game-breaking ability. He's a goal-scoring monster. But he's soft. And yeah. that's a really tough that's a really tough sell for the NHL because what happens when that guy steps up and, you know, he let's just assume he goes to the AHL before he jump he drops into the NHL. The AHL is a very physical league, a very tight checking uh, league that does not let guys breathe. That's a guy that's going to have to figure out how to use that size uh, or or he's not going anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. In some cases, you almost see the opposite effect happen in the AHL where there's this bigger guy and, you know, he when he doesn't understand how to use his size, he almost becomes kind of this lanky guy that ends up running into injury trouble because his appendages are just flying all over the place when he's getting crushed. So, Yeah, he, you know, he actually reminds me uh, of a guy that was drafted back in 2015. Do you remember Paul Bittner? Oh, a little bit. <laughs> so, <clears throat> WHL guy, Paul Bittner, WHL guy who, same, same, same question. Uh, great size, but super inconsistent. Um, no idea if he was 
if, if he could use his size to his, his advantage or not. And he was considered an ultra boomer bust type of power forward prospect. Um, he's gotten better, but is much closer to the bust label today than, than the boom, you know, of, of, of him, of the, of the Columbus hitting the home run they thought they might get with him. Um, that's kind of what I've always been afraid of when it comes to power forwards Yeah, uh, is that their, their bust rate is really, really, really high. It's very easy to fall into the trap pick with that type of player because of that size. And yeah. It, and because you fall in love with it, you fall in love with that combination. Yeah. You dream on the guy and you look at him and you say, okay, he's going to get to the NHL. It's going to bring out the best in him. He's going to have dominant size and he's going to combine it with game breaking ability and he's going to turn into a true power forward. And, you know, we're going to get, we're going to get Jamie Ben out of this guy. You know, we're going to get, we're going to get a big physical beast of a man that just trucks players over and scores 30 goals a year. And, and the problem is with, the players like this who don't use their body as well is you, when you look at a big guy like that, you think, okay, well, even if the skill doesn't translate, he's big and he can grind it out uh, in the third or fourth line. And that's just not going to be the case if he doesn't have that engagement with his body, because he'll be left on a third line role <laughs> where his skills not going to be able to shine through. And then his lack of physicality just buries him. Yeah. This is going to be, this is going to be your classic top six only uh, kind of guy like yeah. he's either going to play in your top two lines or he's not in the NHL for you. Yep. On the other side, there's another guy kind of like this also in I the OHL put the exact same label on him in that case. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're having a, a real hard conversation. Uh, teams are going to value these, these types of guys very differently. It's all going to be about personal preference. But over in the OHL this year with the Hamilton Bulldogs and Arthur Kaliev. Yeah, I I actually like Kaliev with the gigantic caveat that picking him at 16 is definitely a large risk. But it's a huge risk. Yeah, but he is the type of player that we've been asking the Avs to go out and get for a long time of a guy that just is an absolute sniper in the offensive zone and just throws pucks at the back of the net at will. 50 goals this year and 50 assists uh, in the in the OHL. He actually was 51 and 51 for 102 points in 67 games played for the Bulldogs. Is this, you know, again, good size, uh, a little bit smaller uh, than, than Lavoie, actually a little bit shorter than Lavoie, not much smaller. Um, 6'2", 195-ish pounds. Arthur Katliev, Good size. I mean, that's in today's NHL. That's great size. Yeah. Um, Eye popping statistics. What are we worried about here? Well, if you have any interest in him playing in the defensive zone, don't draft him. Just straight up don't. Uh, and he's he has the same engagement issues. I, I wouldn't say he has quite the the inconsistency of Lavoie, but he he does float around quite a bit. And it, it's disappointing because you can see when he decides to engage in the offensive zone, he absolutely has the ability to take pucks away and be a strong forechecker. But a lot of the time, he just doesn't. 
That's the issue. He just doesn't. Yeah. They, and the the reason I like him more than Lavoie is I think his shot is so good. I mean, we're talking he might have the best shot in the entire draft class that he can get away with that a little bit more. Okay. I he's got a great shot. I boy, I don't know. I don't know if you had to if I had to pick who had the best shot in this draft, I really don't know who I would pick. But he's up there. He's definitely, I mean, that's that's what he does. You don't score 50 goals in the OHL in your draft year because you can't shoot it. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's, <laughs> he's he has a talent there, but he has a talent for finding the soft spots as well. It comes with his floaterness a little bit. He He's able to float around and people forget about him, and then he, all of a sudden he pops up and he's wide open to rip a one-timer. So It's, it's good and bad because – he, it's very obvious that he wants to be in open space. And so yeah. he floats around and he finds it. And that's the good part of it is that he can get open. Um, the bad part is, is that he wants to stay open all the time. Yeah. He's he's not battling like someone his size absolutely should be. Well, and he's not, I mean, he's, he's not competing a lot of, sure. there's an awful lot of nights that you watch him and he's just not competing. Yeah. I, I I have no argument there. I I wish I could sit down in the at the combine in his interview room because I think that will be a big deal for him to see teams need to know where he's at and what his stance is on improving and looking towards the future to become the type of player that he needs to be. Yeah, I mean it it's going to be huge for him. Like that's that's a guy that he has everything on the line at the combine this year because teams teams need to know you know is this is this is this guy going to give us an honest effort because if he's not going to give an honest effort then you're wasting a first round pick on a very physically gifted player but one who's already isn't giving you 100% of who he is if that's a, if that's a problem as a teenager, that's not something that gets better when you get older. Yeah, it's it's definitely tough too, especially because as we said, because of that, you know, you put him on the third line and he's just going to disappear totally. He needs to be having that top six offensive opportunity to show the parts of his game that we know are solid, and so unless he takes that next step, you're you're praying for him to reach the top six. If you take him, the the one thing I will say about the abs is he played half the year next to Brandon Sajan. And not only did they play together, they had fantastic chemistry. So I definitely think it's someone that the abs at least know a whole lot about. Yeah. I mean, 40, you know, 40 games Sajan played with them this year. They're, they're more than familiar uh, with, with what Kaliev is. And, uh, you know, from from trying to figure out if they're ever going to give Brandon Sage in a contract, which God, God knows, right? Yeah, that is a whole topic I could spend a whole podcast talking about. Probably, yeah, one of the one of the strangest things that we've seen over the last couple of years from Colorado has been uh, the drafting and the 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 subsequent handling of Brandon Sajan, where it hasn't made a lot of sense so far. None. <laughs> 
But I'm not going to get into that bag of worms because that doesn't sound like it's going to be productive. Ultimately, if Colorado's sitting at 16, do you feel empowered to take a chance on a guy like this because you do have the fourth overall pick and this is not your one selection this year? You don't necessarily like have to get this right because you do have the safety of four? Uh, yeah, I think especially if they decide to go forward, forward, I think Kaliev might be the one to lock in on at 16. Uh, if you go Byram at four, you're going to want something a little bit more reliable at 16 for a forward, I would think. Is that where um, you look at more like a new hook and a Suzuki yeah, where you're exactly. like, these are, these are safer guys that you yep. feel are way less boomer bust. 100%. Yeah. Okay. All right. That makes, that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, I'm. I, I started the show feeling like under no circumstances am I taking Arthur Kaliev because uh, I don't I just don't I don't know what I'm getting out of him and the numbers are great but I'm not you know when it comes to prospects you can't be a slave to the stats there's so much context and there's so much that goes into how numbers get produced that the process is really what you want to hone in on for uh, for for these kids and which process is going to be repeatable at the NHL level. That shot is going to translate, but how much is the unwillingness to compete shift to shift also going to translate? Because that will have as much of an impact on his success or failure in the NHL as uh, his raw ability to to shoot and produce offense. Yeah, absolutely. For every uh, line A you get, you end up with a guy like Agazino who can – score 40 in the AHL, but just can't hack it at the NHL level. Yeah. And, and I mean, you get the, the NHL draft is littered with the Paul Bittners of the world. Power, power forwards that just didn't quite work out. Um, and the big hits are much harder to find. Yeah. That's, it's also why they're so valued when you hit one, though, too, right? Right. And that's why those guys don't change teams. <laughs> it's yeah. because teams are like, we got a good one. Everybody just get away from us. We're going <laughs> to overpay this guy until his body completely breaks down. And then someone inevitably does overpay them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because Jerome McGinley goes into free agency at 36 years old, 35 years old. and yeah. The abs coming off of a uh, division title think that they're totally there and that this is the right move for them. All right, let's go ahead and move away from that depressing memory. We're going to take our second break here. Before we do, I am going to remind you that we have a really awesome deal for BSN listeners. You already know that Total Beverage has the most liquor in Colorado at the best prices in Colorado, but now they're also delivering anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For limited time, they're offering total total beverages offering ten dollars off a fifty dollar purchase on their website and app. Uh, use promo code BSN ten to save ten dollars off a fifty dollar purchase for all your holiday parties and get it delivered straight to your door. Make sure you download the Total Beverage app. I have it on my phone. I have used it multiple times. Uh, it is it it does its job. It's it's a it's a beast of an app. And anytime I'm loading up on liquor to do something at my house, that's what I—that's my go-to. And uh, I use promo code BSN10. I save $10 off the order. Boom. I mean, there's really no downside here. You're going to drink alcohol. You're going to enjoy alcohol. You're going to do it at home. It's nice and safe. You save money. They bring it to you. It's really a perfect deal. 
So make sure that you guys are checking out Total Beverage at TotalBev.com. That does it for segment number two here, the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Bev. We will be back on the other side to talk about goalies. Tucked away from the city, Raccoon Creek is your go-to golf course. Their location in Littleton provides more than just a beautiful golfing experience. They have the perfect setting for year-round events with unbelievable views. It's just a fun place to golf. It's a different atmosphere. It's a really nice course and it's fast greens. They have a good crew there, so it's always in good shape. They're having uh, comedy shows. They got like this really cool fire pit in the back now. It's changed a lot. There's a whole, whole new patio that has like the best views in Colorado. I think you can see the mountains, you see the golf course. You know, it's kind of like Cheers. Everybody knows your name and your handicap. That was Todd. He's been golfing at Raccoon Creek for years now, and it's his favorite golf course in the area because of the environment that they've created. Raccoon Creek has embraced technology, adding golf board rentals to their course, as well as updating their golf carts to be equipped with GPS that provides score updates of sporting events and live scoring for outings and tournaments. They also have an app where you can schedule tee times, receive happy hour specials, and stay up to date on all of their upcoming events. Download their app today and receive a free bucket of balls or check them out online at raccooncreek.com. Welcome back, third and final segment here of Monday's BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Bev. <sighs> it was inevitable, sir, that we get to this point in draft season. We've got to talk about Spencer Knight. He is the top goaltending prospect in this year's draft. He's widely considered a first-round caliber goaltender, ranked by most services, somewhere in that mid, mid-ish, late-ish first round range. The Avs obviously have had some problems drafting and developing goaltenders of their own. Arguably the best goalie that they've ever drafted uh, is Peter Budai. By a pretty decent margin, I think, yeah. I guess if, if you want to hate on Mark Denis, then that's fine. Um, but it's it's either Mark Denis or Peter Budai. Uh, with Calvin Pickard as as your third option there, which really goes to show you how futile it's really been for for Colorado since they, I mean, since they moved here, they have not drafted and developed goaltenders. It's just just how it's been. Right now in their system, I'm curious how you feel about this, Nathan, because I never know how to feel about goaltenders. Um, I've liked the guys that they've drafted in recent years. I've been excited about Adam Werner. He's gotten consistently better every year since they drafted him. He got his ELC. He's come over now uh, from Sweden. He will be in in Loveland next year for the Eagles or in the CHL with the Utah Grizzlies. Still to be determined uh, as they still have decisions to make at the goaltending position all throughout the organization. But Werner is over here. Do you think Werner has NHL upside, like real NHL upside? Yeah, I, I do think he does have NHL upside. I don't think he'll ever be a starter. Um, he just doesn't quite have the lateral movement for a guy his size because he's big. Uh, he can be a solid backup, I think. A lot of people can be a solid backup in the NHL is the thing. We saw Pickard was capable at times of being one. He's easily the the most excited about a goalie in the ab system that I've been since Pickard. So uh, that's promising to see that 
at least one of them is looking like it'll pan out at least halfway decently now that they can get him in the AHL. Beyond Werner, um, they took Peter Kvacha after Werner, and then last year, Eustace Ananen. Um, and Ananen was their youngest goaltender, the first time they've drafted a first-time eligible goaltender since Spencer Knight back in 2013, as both Werner and Kvacha were uh, second-time eligible goaltenders or draft-eligible uh, goaltenders when they were taken. D- yeah. do, you, do you have excitement about them, or... Is this really just kind of Werner and a whole bunch of hopes and prayers and dreams and rainbows and a pot of maybe a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow if they're very, very lucky? Yeah, I think that might even be a little generous for Kavacha. I, I didn't love the pick then, and he just hasn't gone anywhere. It, it, My big disappointment with him, it's not it's not the production, it's not how he's played, it's that he's still in the check two league. Yeah. He couldn't get a check one job and in the few showings we've had at him at camps and stuff here even playing against like 18 year old rookie types yeah didn't look great yeah and and i mean we're talking like not all like drafted guys like some uni guys you know some some logan o'connor ish guys davis type players yeah like some some guys that you know will have pro careers in the lower area lower ranks of the pros Right. So and still has struggled. So not don't feel great about Kavacha. No. On Anan and though, there's hope. And well and his his age is a big reason right. for that. He's too. he's so young that he's still so far away that you're just saying, Okay, well, you weren't that great this year, but it sounds like he will have an opportunity to play in the Liga next year. So Yeah. Well he got a lot better in the second half. Remember, he had he a disaster in the first half of the season. He was like an eighty-two save percentage in the first yeah. half or something. Like, like, like seriously, it was like the like the mid to low eights. Yeah. Where you're like, oh my God, what did they do? Because that was the guy, remember, they traded down out of the second round yep. and took him at the top of the third round. And there was like a mini run on goaltenders in that time. Yeah. And so, you know, for them to go and get Ananen, um, it was, it was definitely uh, a big, a big show of faith for them. It was a big leap for them uh, to, to take him, you know, first time eligible and, and, you know, all that. And he ends up with a much stronger second half of the year. He is in line to at least, uh, play for a Liga team next year. It may not. It may be more like what Werner had to do with the SHL, where he kind of split yeah. the job, and I, it I, wasn't I, his starting job. But it, it should be a big difference for him because it, it's Carpet that's his uh, his Liga team, and Carpet is one of the best teams in the league of the past couple of years. And yeah, the uh, Mestis team, the second tier Finnish league that he played, and he played for Hermes, and they were bad. I mean, they were bad. <laughs> Yeah, and so, you know, you hope better team, better opportunity, but also much higher pressure on him to perform. He'll have to perform for Carpat or they'll move him. Like they Yeah, absolutely. They will find somebody uh to perform if he's if he's not going to be the man for them. So, Annan, there's a lot of hope for Annan still moving forward that they have they have a legitimate goaltender. I would say, you know, with Werner, I feel like like we said like we talked about more of a backup kind of guy. But with Ananen, he's still young enough, and there's still enough talent there. I feel he he could be a starter down the road, but it's it's a long way down the road. 
and they're still goalies too. You just never know with yeah. these guys. Well, and that's the thing. Like you don't know what what the deal is with goaltenders. Like we see we see um goalies get ranked and and drafted high all the time. And it just okay, great, good for them. And yeah, I think it ends up the, not mattering, you know, you never hear from those guys again. The stat, I think, and we'll talk about this in relates in, as it relates to Knight as well. Um, I think there's as many third or fourth round picked goalies in the NHL as there are first rounders. So, Right, but it's like there are first rounders, a lot of there them. There are, absolutely. And that's where this gets interesting with Spencer Knight because he is the only guy this year that we're talking about as as a first round goaltender. You know, yeah. you've got some you've you've got a, like I like the class overall. I actually like this uh goalie class like I liked last year's uh where I think there's good depth and there's a lot of different int- intriguing guys that they could pick. But one stands above all the others and that's Spencer Knight Colorado has a 16th pick. I'm putting all these pieces together here, or obviously. Should they do it? Should they pull that trigger? I would say no. However, it is absolutely something that should be high on their priority list to look into. You know, before Werner signed, what, a week ago? So they had one signed goalie in their system before that. And we know that Annan is a long way off still. So if you get someone like Knight, you're looking at a shorter term, you know, maybe two years of college, and then he's in your pro system. So it, it's definitely an option that the Avs need to consider at the minimum. I think it's it's. I'll ask this: What is the best case scenario? They take Spencer Knight at sixteen. What's what's the best case scenario for them? I mean, the best case scenario is he's Carter Hart and is somehow ready to jump into the NHL in Grubauer's last contract year. And then you have tons of options from there with what to do because you have Knight as one of your two goalies at the NHL level. So you wouldn't want to, I mean, you wouldn't want to maybe give Grubauer like a two-year deal and then, you know. I think that's more realistic. Um, if you get to the end of Grubauer's contract night, that should be night. You're signing him at the same time. So mm-hmm. you give Grubauer a two year deal. You give Knight his ELC. He plays at least one full year in the AHL while Grubauer is ideally the starter and backup is whoever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then based on that first year, you should be looking to move him in. If you're picking him at 16, a three year plan into the NHL, would be nice. I know goalies take a little bit longer, but definitely by the that second year of a Grubauer contract, if you do a two-year deal, you should be looking at get him, getting him into NHL games. Where I think this gets interesting is with Grubauer because he got that three-year deal. And that's one of the most common contracts that we see in the NHL today. Uh, the backup trying to take over the starter job gets a gets a three year deal worth right about the mid, you know, right about three, three and a half million dollars, somewhere in there. Where it's, hey, we're gonna we're gonna give you a major raise over what you were making. We're gonna give you a little bit of job security, but we're not gonna completely lock our future down with you all the way. 
We've seen how that's gone with San Jose and Martin Jones, and we're not going to do that. We're going to make sure you can play first. What happens if Philip Grubauer can play? Well, I definitely think he can play. The question is, can he play consistently? Well, that's that's what I'm asking. Is what if what if he is the man? What if he is he is a 9.25 goaltender for the Avalanche for the next two years? Even if Great. you do draft Spencer Knight, you draft him because you don't know right now what Philip Grubauer is as a starter over the long term. Because you know we just don't know, and so it's still fair to wonder about drafting Spencer Knight. But what what do you do? What's what becomes the plan with Spencer Knight? If Grubauer is legit, because he if he's legit, he won't take a two year deal. Yeah, uh, I mean, if Grubauer is legit, you can't let him go, right? You have to give him what he wants, and I think that would give the Avs the best situation is having him signed up if he continues to play well. With Knight, it's tough. It's a tough situation because the goalie market is just nonsense, man. One day you'll be getting backup goalies for sixth round picks, and the next day it'll be a backup cost you a second. So it's really hard to tell what his value ends up being to the Avs if he's the type of prospect that it's clear is going to be more than a backup. So, I, I again, you can't really have too many goalies in your system, I don't think, mm-hmm. especially with the Avs' propensity to take Euros and just leave them in Europe. They have plenty of room for goalies to grow in their system, but what are you getting out of them in the end? I'm not sure. So with a guy like Knight, would you try to use the John Bernier, Martin Jones model that, that uh, you know, those guys were, you know, highly touted young players. They were backups that put up great seasons. And then they got traded for first round picks. Yeah, that and if we have Grubauer as a lock, rock solid starter, that would be the idea. And so, really, if you draft Knight, and I think because I I think that sucks. I think I I'm with you. <laughs> like I I think that would suck if you draft Knight and he ends up being legit, and. You've got Grubauer as a high, he's a proven high level starter. You're not just going to move on from that guy. Um, You know, especially with the way that goalies have aging curves, you can reliably ask that guy that, you know, Grubauer could be here until he's 35. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it, it is a tough situation because as you, as you move into night getting older, you don't really expect him to peak anywhere near the point where Grubauer would have proven himself unless Grubauer doesn't. That's that's where Knight comes in, but right. drafting a first-round goalie with the expectation of him being anything but your future starter is tough. Right. Like you, You're drafting a first-round goalie because you think not only is that guy going to be a future starter for you, but he's going to be a high-level starter. But if you end up with a high-level starter in the meantime – and then you trade I mean, you will have drafted him in 2019. 2024 comes comes rolling around, and you're trading him for a 2025 first-round pick. All you've gotten is a couple of games out of that guy as a backup goalie. And yeah. that's, for me, that's my, that's my big, like, oh, no. You know, and maybe, maybe you're bold. Maybe you say, hey, we're going to do what uh, uh, the Penguins did 
and we'll roll the dice and we're going to get rid of the old guy and we're going to run with the young guy. Now, obviously, they had the expansion draft as the perfect excuse to do that. And Colorado won't have that excuse in a couple of years uh, because Seattle expansion draft will happen before we have any idea what Spencer Knight really is, uh, especially as a pro. But it seems it seems like if you if you want to keep drafting goalies and you want to keep trying to take a swing at the position, do it. But I really don't know about doing it in the first round. I, you know, you've got a, a mad Sogard, you know, why not? Why not go with that guy in the second round? A guy, really, really good goaltender. It's had a great year, got all the potential in the world, uh, but you're using a second rounder on that dude and you just feel a little bit less like you're beholden to that guy in the future. If he becomes something meaningful. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I will say that might be helping in that category as far as going with Knight is like every other position in the NHL goaltenders are absolutely getting younger. They you are obviously had Carter Hart playing as a 20 year old this year. Gregoriev, I can't say it, whoever yeah. uh, plays for the Rangers. Yeah. He played 30 games this year. Guys like Saros who have kind of been in the wings waiting since he was 21, even to take over Rene's job. Mm-hmm. So the the curve is getting quicker on guys like that getting into the NHL and taking over jobs. But like you said, you don't want a situation where that Saros has right now where you're stuck with a goalie who is perfectly capable starter and you're just kind of wasting away this prospect. Right. And you're using like prime years on the guy that, yeah. you know, he could be the starting goaltender and you know, he's going to be cheaper than the veteran. And, you know, you're, you're wasting starting caliber years on cheap contracts for that kid. And you're paying full price for the, for the proven veteran. And like, that's great. You're getting, you're getting reliable production out of both of them. And that's, that's obviously a wonderful luxury to have. That's, that's a very powerful weapon when it comes to a regular season Uh, and, and, you know, home ice advantage, all those things like having a good backup is really important, but you're not using a first round pick on a good backup. You know, this is not like a second line guy that you can, you, you get a second line center out of 16th overall pick and new hook. And you're totally happy with that. Awesome. I'll take 60 points out of that guy. I'll take 50 points out of Alex new hook in the NHL. You have no bones about that, but you draft Spencer Knight at 16. You're you're, you better be right. And he better be a top 10 goalie for you in his prime. Yeah, it's you can go out and get a backup goalie every single offseason for at worst a slight overpay. And that backup goalie will be just fine as long as you have a solid starter ahead of him. So drafting first rounders for that role just doesn't make any sense. It's for me, I think it's it's a fascinating conversation because I don't feel like there's a right or wrong answer. I think it's it's the ultimate roll of the dice. I mean, we're talking about guys like Pod Colson, last year Ryan Merkley, uh, you know, this year Arthur Kaliev, Raph Lavoie. We're talking about those guys as like boom or bust. I mean, it doesn't get any more boom or bust than a first round goaltender, especially yeah. a goaltender in the in at like sixteen. You know, recent first round goalies we've seen at like 25, 26, 27, 28, you know, later in the first round teams that have multiple firsts or playoff teams that have 
the time. You know, we see Washington. That's how Washington has done it. They've taken a couple of different first round goalies and they've just waited on them to continue to develop. And it's paid off great for them. It's not to say they all worked out. You know, you know, Grubauer was not a first rounder. Um, Neuwirth wasn't a first rounder. But watching, you know, I hope he wasn't a first rounder. But now, you know, they they took another one in Samsonov a couple of years ago. And now he's on that he's on that track to eventually take Holtby's job again. But we keep seeing Washington take these goalies, develop them. They get a couple of, they get a nice backup year or two out of them. And then they move them for picks and they move it on down the road. And that's great. It's great that they're feeding the NHL all these quality goaltending prospects. But they're not getting any actual play out of their own picks. You know what I mean? Like they're picking for other teams consistently by getting it right as often as they have, which is like this weird double-edged sword. Great. You're consistently scouting and getting more value out of a position that nobody else is able to do it. And you're able to turn that into things by training them down the road. But the thing that they're turning them into more often than not is more picks. Yeah, it's I'd, I'd be really interesting to see how the value shapes up from both sides of those things. Obviously, in Washington's case, you know, getting a handful of games out of young guys and kind of just punting your pick down the line. Some of them, like with Grubauer, you, you end up getting a higher pick in the long run. Mm-hmm. But when you're taking first rounders, it's often pretty tough to do that. Uh, but on the other side of things, like with the Avs, you give up a second rounder for Philip Grubauer and he proves that he's is a starter if he continues to do that over the next couple of years, you know, how much more value would a Spencer Knight end up being? You know, maybe Spencer Knight's a, becomes a God and he has a 940 save percentage every other year, or maybe he's just another average NHL starter. Right. We just don't know. Is that, is that worth it? If you, if you use the 16th overall pick on Spencer Martin and you get a starting goaltender that gives you a 916 save percentage uh, over the course of a, say like like a seven year career did you get what did you get what you wanted out of that i don't think so i you really if you're using a first round pick on a goalie he should be top 10 in the league really and I, I, I know it's a high point to hit for but 920 feels like a nice cutoff point for me as far as stats are concerned and it's always funny because like 920, 918, you're talking about the difference of like two goals over the course of a season, right? I know, yeah. But but you what you what you really want more than anything is like you want consistency. You want a guy that's gonna give you 920. You know, maybe you maybe don't get a 930 or the random 930, but you also don't get a 904 right. in there. You get 920 every year, that's way more valuable than a guy that could give you a 930, but could also give you a 904. Yeah, absolutely. You want the 920 every year. You know, and that's that's what I think when you're drafting a first round goalie, I agree with you 100 percent. You have to get a first round. You have to get a top 10 guy. And he's got to be a guy that consistently is at the top of his of of his position as best as a goalie can be. I mean, let's be honest here. Like goalies aren't the most volatile position in all of sports, I would say. So you don't really know what you're getting year to year with those guys. You're just sort of hoping for the best. Of course. But when it. Was was Spencer Knight a great prospect? For me, I just don't think the juice is worth the squeeze at sixteen. Yeah, I just don't. Not not given Colorado's current position, 
Especially I'm, when you can I'm take a Matt Sogard in the second or third round and yeah. And it, or and, and I mean it's not it's not ideal. Like you don't love to do it, but if you if you can continue to trade a second round pick yeah. down the road to get to get a starting goaltender. It's clearly worked for them in the past, so <laughs> Right. Like, you know, they traded a first and a second, they got eight years out of Varley. They got their money's worth there. You know, the you could argue that they didn't get the results that they wanted all the time. But they got eight years out of a, of a starting goaltender. It was more like six years of a starting goaltender this year in the last year. But they got what they wanted out of that deal. And, you know, they traded a, a second round pick, a mid-second round pick straight up for Philip Grubauer. I would argue he's already justified that cost. Yeah, I I was actually one of the detractors of the trade when it first happened. And I was I was, I was feeling unfortunately right in about January or so. Yeah. But then I mean, it was like worst fears realized. And then he caught fire yeah. and I was like, all right. We're and, good. and, you know, I think we all agree a group is not going to be a 940 guy every day, every night. But he, he shouldn't be the 890. Right. Guy he clearly proved that he has the capability to be a starter. Now it's just about finding the consistency. And if you're getting a potential starter for a second round pick, then why are you spending uh, first to get one in four years? Right. And you can argue last year they used they I mean they used two picks at the goaltender position. They traded one of their seconds. They had two seconds and they ended up basically using both on goalies. Well technically because, they picked Schmackov too. <laughs> yeah, well, three goalies. Yeah, I forgot all about Schmackov. So three goalies in last year's draft. Yeah. I, you know, maybe maybe this year you ease up a bit. Yeah, three feels like it, it, the lever swung a bit too far the other way, for sure. Yeah, well, and one of them obviously is like in the NHL right away, and you're like, well, that's my guy. Hopefully that's my guy for the next like six, seven years. Right. Um, Should be at least for, you know, the next two years anyway, you feel like it's fair to say he should be the man. Yeah. But we'll see what happens with Ananin and, and Schmackov, but I feel like the the goaltending position for the Avalanche in uh, the organization as a whole is I feel like it's pretty healthy. I feel like there's there's talent at different ages, at different levels. Um they've got the one thing that they need the most, which is a, a starter in the NHL. But overall, I feel like the position is pretty healthy and they just don't need to take the big risk with Spencer Knight. Yeah. I I agree with that. The the only real question about goaltending that I find interesting for the abs in the immediate is what they end up doing with Spencer Martin. And you're talking about, you know, ideally by the end of the year, that position's going to be your number four goalie. So it, it's really not a big issue in my eyes about needing to fill that pipeline. Yeah. I just, I don't think it's a desperate need for the organization as a whole. When you have the number one guy kind of taken care of, I feel everything else is just it's it's not very it'll hard fall to get in line. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's it's not you, you it's not an urgent thing. You know, if you're if you're the Calgary Flames right now, you're like, oh man, we got to get this position handled because it continues to be a problem for them. But for Colorado, you're feeling pretty good with an in in his prime and signed Philip Grubauer. You know, you've got some young guys. You've used a lot of draft capital in recent years on the position. I say all this, and then if they take him at 16, I won't knock him. I'll be like, hey, I will always understand when you're trying to go for greatness. And 
I'm always a guy that supports boldness and and going for it. I always I always love it when a when a GM and a team says, eh, screw this. I'm tired of I'm tired of being conservative about it. We're going for it. And ultimately, if the Avs did that at 16, there's always gonna be a little piece of me that loves that. <laughs> that just that loves that loves the bravado, you know, the the chutzpah that that says we're here and we're making this happen. We're we're going all in right now. And I, I love that. I think that's great. Um, yeah. So if they ultimately did it, I can get behind it because there's that part of me. But the the pragmatic side of me is saying, not worth. Yeah. Use that on a forward. Use that right. on a defenseman. To, to tie it back into what we talked about a little bit earlier, if you come out of this draft without any demon out of the first round, are the Avs still kind of missing a, a high caliber defenseman in their system now? If you come out of it without any forwards, I personally would be disappointed because there are so many forwards in this first round that I really like. Well, and especially, I mean, like you walk out of it with Byram and Knight, and on paper you're feeling good, but you know that it's, you know, it's gonna it'll be a couple of years for Byram. Yep. You know, maybe maybe one if they if they really push yep. him. Uh, and and if he obviously if he goes out and he drops another twenty six goals on the WHL, it's like right, okay, get him out of there. <laughs> um, but there's a very real possibility that it's it's a couple years for Byram, and then you're looking at four or five years for for Knight, and you know the big the big draft class that's supposed to continue to feed the beast doesn't show up until well after Seattle started. Right. The the time to take a goalie to work into your starter was three years ago. <laughs> or, I mean, realistically say they go out and they, their, their first round pick next year is 24, 25. Sure. Then yeah. Right. When you're, that's, that's the time. That's when you do it. When you're like, Hey, we're a good team. We've got a lot of young, good talent all throughout the roster and in the pipeline, we can go ahead and we can take a, we can take a goaltender at 25, you know, not knowing what next year's goalie class looks like. So I haven't even begun to look there yet you that's when you're in more of that position where you say, ah, okay, well now we can do this. Absolutely. Especially in a year where say the Avs don't have 18 contracts to take care of in the off season. Yeah. Straight up. Like let's, when you have a little bit more stability and you have, you have a much better idea of really who you have in your system, you know, another year they'll have an idea of what Adam Warner is. What if Adam Warner is really awesome? You know, then yeah, maybe don't get ahead of yourself. You got to know what you have before you throw it away. Right, right. It's just you can't have too much of it, but you can you can definitely make the argument that you can invest too much into the position. At very least, it can be better spent elsewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's go ahead and get out of here. Uh, the segment ran. It, it looks longer than it actually is just because. My internet decided to give out, <laughs> but it came back and we finished it up. So yeah, see. Um, Nathan, I want to thank you again for coming on to the show and, and talking prospects uh, with me. I, as mentioned previously, I'd like to get you on, uh, you know, a couple more times for, for draft time. Um, I'd like to do like an actual like mock draft coming up here pretty soon. If you'd be down for giving that a swing. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to get back on and do some more of this. Awesome, man. Well, I really do appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun for me. I know that the uh, the listeners have had all 
They only ever have good good feedback when you come onto the show. Uh, you're very well liked by the Avalanche community for all the right reasons. You you know you put in the hours and you you do great work and you give back to the community um, in in ways that are always valuable to all of us. Um, can't thank you enough for coming on and doing the show with me. Um, do you want to go ahead and uh, uh, plug your stuff while you're here, as as usual? Yeah, sure. Uh, first, I'd like to say thank you to you for having me on again. It's always a fun time coming on with you guys, and and to all the people out there for all the kind words, especially after the last cast. I really do appreciate you guys. I I really love the Avalanche community so much. There's so many awesome people out there that it's it's just such a great time to to do stuff in this group of people. Uh, for me personally, if you don't know where to find me, you can find me at Avalanche Review. That's on Twitter and YouTube. Most of my content can be found through both of those two places. But I also make content for BurgundyRainbow.com. That is where you can find not only all of my stuff, but a ton of other prospect and draft content alongside everything that BSN does over here as well. They're, they're the professional side. We do a little bit more of the fan site thing, but there's still a ton of good information out there for you to pick up. And if you really, really love me, I do have a Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com slash Ruto3. Uh, a couple of bucks does go a long way. It really helps me make my content as good as it can be. So it's always appreciated, but never necessary. Absolutely. We're going to go ahead and uh, say thank you guys to all the all the listeners, all of you guys that allow us to keep doing this. Uh, we're really, it's just kind of still, just really getting started here and in, in what's going to be a very fun off season. Uh, so thank you guys for listening. This is the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. We will see you tomorrow. Dear sports fans, elevate your game to the next level with a Toyota truck. Drive the crowd favorite Tacoma. This versatile playmaker is ready to own the weekend. Choose the tailgating MVP, the Toyota Tundra. This is one vehicle that comes up clutch. Or ride in the adventurous 4Runner, a true champion on and off the road. Whichever truck you choose, you're getting a real winner. Come join the team of champions, Toyota Trucks. Visit toyota.com to learn more or check out your local Toyota dealership today. Toyota, let's go places.